At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients, we're caregivers, we're executives and advocates. We're fed up with the status quo and we have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. We've continued a theme in this podcast of solution-minded individuals and solution-minded organizations. With me today is one of those individuals who has been doing really inspiring work at a couple of different organizations that he's been a part of. Please welcome Matt Orp, the Director of Administration and Organizational Efficiency at Team Cheryl Companies. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on Healthcare Americana. Thank you, Chris. It's good to see you again, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So we've met originally, again, at the Free Market Medical Association, uh, incredible organization, incredible conference, bringing people together who are looking to change the way that healthcare is purchased, delivered, really thought about in the United States today. And when you and I first met and started talking about some of the really cool things that your company was doing, your previous company, I will say that, and kind of plays the role of spoiler here, you recently switched roles, but you know, the work that you have done and really dedicated your life to, we thought, wow, this would be a really cool story to tell and really get your perspective on really how employers can actually shop for the healthcare needs of their employees. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've got a lot of years in, in mostly HR, HR experience, probably more than I'd like to admit. admit. Uh, but about 23 or 24, and uh, lots of interesting success stories. I've uh, been with some amazing companies like Toyota. I started out with a Toyota supplier and then went, was recruited to Toyota early on. And I've seen a, a lot of different things. And uh, I'm, I'm a builder by nature. I'm a farm boy from Iowa. And I, I like to improve things. I like to build. And, and when, the build, when the build's done or when the challenge goes away and the problems are solved, Sometimes I'll look for different, you know, new problems or opportunities. Really, problems are just opportunities in disguise, as I like to say. So I think some neat stories, but I'm just wired that way. I'm not sure why, but I just kind of got an entrepreneurial spirit. So this kind of thing so uh, is fun for me. And I'll tell you, you know, I speak from the employer perspective, I think. So, you know, maybe that's a little bit unique because a lot of times the healthcare uh, discussions are doctors talking or providers or uh, systems or whatever it may be. All the big players, brokers in the system and in the whole in the overall system. But the employers, I'll tell you, I think is maybe an overlooked aspect. And that sounds kind of silly as I'm hearing myself talk. But the employers are the ones besides Medicare, about half of the spend is, is from the government. And then the other half, roughly speaking, is employers. And then, a, and then a portion of that is employees, but that's really through the employers. 
So that's the uh, that's the angle I speak from, and I think there's a there's a lot of key messages within that. Well, it's a huge it's a huge component of healthcare, right? We always say, you know, here at Freedom Health Works that there's really three stakeholders: there's the doctors, there's the patients, and really there's employers. Because in my view, and a lot of people out there match this, that employers are actually what we call payers. They're the actual payers. A lot of times we say, well, who's the payer on this? You know, a medical bill. And somebody will say, well, it's the insurance company. Not true. The actual people paying the bills are usually, through a commercial insurance plan, are usually people's employment. Now, I have problems with you know, employers and, and how health insurance is tied to employment as a kind of an unintended consequence of World War II and price control. So that's a different conversation. But there are some really cool things that companies can do and take care of their employees. So using health benefits as a way to attract and retain talent, I'm all for that, right? Whatever you got to do to get the best talent in. But what you saw in your roles, and, and I love how you said, well, I'm a, I'm a builder. You know, I, I see what I can do and I want to fix things. And then what's my next challenge? What have you seen that has driven you into this position where you are right now, building up what we really call alternative benefit programs for various employers. It's kind of an interesting story. I mean, I told you about kind of how I'm wired in my background, but you know, it was around six years ago. And I and, and I'll say this message too, maybe it's other uh, human resources professionals or CEOs, CFOs, but anybody that deals with healthcare. About six years ago, I I was probably I uh, was like the majority. I I really had very little interest in healthcare. I mean, I had been through I don't know, close to 20 open enrollments. I mean, I knew the basics. I knew what the words meant, deductibles and co-pays and co-insurance, but that's about all I knew. And uh, been primarily with self, even self-insured employers. I'm not sure I can even articulate fully what got me going. I, one of the things was I started running some graphs. So I was leading HR for a company called Merrill Steel. And I started running uh, some graphs which I learned at Toyota and, and other places, and you know, but I mean, analyze where you are. So one of the things I think that happens, especially if brokers, you know, are often leading this charge, which we could talk about and some of the good things of that and some of the pitfalls of that for HR people to step up is that, but we don't like to expose problems. So I found I've, I've even had cases where we're talking about turnover or something. And I've had people say to me, don't show that graph, like put that graph away. And I'm like, well, how are we ever going to work on it if we don't like, aren't you know, willing to look at it? And I always joke, you ever have a credit card bill that way? It's like, oh man, I know what's going on. I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm afraid to look. I'm not, I don't have the courage to look. So like, and then it just keeps climbing. I have to look because I have to pay on it, you know, kind of yep. thing. But we're afraid to look. And because maybe it look, makes us look like we failed, or maybe if you request that from your broker, maybe it looks like they failed and, and, so we have to get to a place where we're willing to look at that. And, and before, you, before you look at it, say, okay, whatever it is, we don't think it's probably good because the CFO has been talking with us and we know healthcare is going up, but are we willing to look at it and not blame each other and then start to break it down and try to work on it, right? That's maybe one of the big roadblocks. And maybe some company cultures are like that, where it's like, well, I wouldn't dare expose that. I my goodness, I'd be at my pink slip by the afternoon or something. I don't know if that's the case. Then I think you're exactly right. We kind of joke about it, but a lot of time benefits discussions and most of those discussions are happening this time of year in the fall leading into enrollment or renewals. 
it's kind of going back to the Looney Tune days where uh, the ostrich wants to stick his head. I guess he was a roadrunner at this point. So maybe not Looney Tunes, but you get this old reference to an ostrich sticking its head in the sand to avoid any type of predators. Because, you know, if the ostrich doesn't see any predators and they must not be there. Same kind of concept where, well, if we if we just kind of push this renewal down, you know, as late as possible, it might go up. But it's going to be a whole can of worms to open this thing and actually rebuild with a different benefit advisor, with a different company, or like what you've done is build something better from scratch, something that saves money, potentially saves lives, but your employees actually use it. And it can become that attraction retainment tool. So give us an oversight, quick kind of synopsis uh, leading into you establish that, hey, a lot of companies have problems. They don't want to acknowledge that they have problems. They probably go play golf with their broker, you know, once a year, twice a year and say, hey, look, we're doing the best we can for you, but I'm your buddy. So don't go anywhere. How does a company get around that type of mentality? If it were me, I mean, I think if there's, there's variables. I mean, if you've been there 30 years, it's probably less comfortable or 20 years, right? I mean, because you were there the whole time. If you're newer, it's maybe easier. But if you're newer, then you got to be careful to not make others feel like they failed. I mean, there's all sorts of things that go on inside companies that don't that aren't on the surface of why problems aren't solved. But if it were me, I'd want to get some buy-in before we looked at those graphs, get some buy-in to say, uh, are you open to looking at these? Are you open to trying to work on these, right? I mean, in my experience, I would say, usually when we try, we'll have some success, right? I mean, we can't guarantee anything, but usually if we try, we'll be okay. And are you with me on trying? I'm not promising anything. <laughs> right. Uh, and now as I've dealt with healthcare and some of the techniques, I could say that with a little more confidence. But I can tell you, even in a case where we were spending a quarter of a million dollars as a as kind of a first step, one of the key first steps of having what's called a DPC, a direct primary care clinic, building a little corner of the upstairs, 1,800 square feet. The proposal, I look back at the proposal, it's kind of humorous to me. I mean, the things I was talking about and I mean, we were trying to put everything through it. And I was talking about drug, new higher drug screen savings and nothing wrong with that. But I mean, the, those areas where I had a little bit too much focus versus primary care itself, but especially something I learned about two years in, the invisible half, I call it, and uh, that systems do primary care. And I, I don't know if they make any money. They probably do okay. Top expenses or, or incomes for systems, which conversely means the top expenses for employers. So that was one of the strategies we took is to look at the top five. Number one, if you're curious, is imaging, right? So we get a, we'll get a picture, which makes a lot of sense. We'll get a picture to find out what's going on, especially if you're in primary care and you get 15 minutes. I don't know if you have time to do much else, but refer, uh, right? I mean, that's not really giving you time. Like to a triage center. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's like a triage um, center. Um, so when you get this proposal in place, and people kind of look at you funny thinking, well, what in the world is Matt doing? What was that reaction in the executive offices and executive meetings versus the steel workers on the floor who were, you know, kind of the rank and file of the company? Yeah, I, I always joke about that. You know, we I look back now and I see a state award and I see a national award and it's a fun story, right? But if you put yourself back in those shoes where we had this kind of almost humorous proposal 
and quarter of a million dollars investment. You know how things, right? It starts and you invest a little here and here and here, and then you find yourself at a quarter million. And, and I stepped in as a general contractor in the clinic just to get that. It would have been about 400, I think, you know, and so I'm starting, you know, you're starting to think, how's this going to go? Am I going to be here a year from now? You know, it's like great idea, Matt. <laughs> so, but, but thankfully within the first quarter, three months of the, of the onsite clinic being open, we had that money back. What was the time frame on that return of a quarter million dollars? Well, over the time. So since we started, that was our first step. And then we added things like on-site MRI and orthopedic bundling and on and on-site physical therapy and free chiropractic and you know, a whole long list of things we started adding on. We averaged around a quarter of a million dollars every three months. So, I mean, it kind of sustained, right? So we saved approximately 20% of our total healthcare spend, which was originally 5 million. We lowered it to around four. So, I mean, that was kind of even our average of savings, um, of, of pure savings. So, and it fluctuates, of course, for high claims and different things. Uh, but once, once that happened, I think everyone was excited about what more can we do? You know, it goes from... Did we just throw a bunch of money away uh, and waste some time or what more can we do? And from the start, we tried to involve employees and their families. We'd have mobile vehicles. So we'd park it right there and have the doors open and the kids could go inside and we'd give away teddy bears. And uh, we, they'd come to our Christmas party and any way we could get them involved, we wanted them to be part of us. So Matt, did you did you say that you invited the mobile MRI unit to your Christmas parties? What, what kind of parties were these? Are these <laughs> well, we had some. I mean, we had some wild parties. We were always happy if nobody ended up in jail or yeah, <laughs> night. So we did have some wild parties. But yeah, we we wanted them to feel like not just like to sit in the clinic and wait, but to get to know us and walk around the business. And of course, there's a in some cases a confidential aspect of somebody. If you're following up and saying how is so and so, you've got to you know talk privately. But yeah, but often and, that's blown, you know taken too far out of proportion. We can we can all talk as long as it's in private. I'm not going to go down the uh, the road of asking about your Christmas parties, although there might be some people sitting there saying, "Ask about it, Chris. Come on, right? <laughs> Let's figure out exactly what we mean by we're happy with no jail." <laughs> <laughs> Right. I got some stories. Oh my God. <laughs> better, better save for another time though. We'll, we'll hit the, uh, we'll make sure the record is not, uh, the recording is not on. We start tossing those stories around. Um, but when, when you talk about employer healthcare and, you know, one of the big, I guess, kind of concerns a lot of employees have and that they voiced is I'm not comfortable going and using a clinic that is in my employer's building because I'm afraid that they're going to know exactly who has what condition, even though, you know, there's no names, there's no identifiers there. How do you get around that? Or even you know, one, was that a fear that people are saying, look, I don't want you to know what's going on with me because that might affect my job or my employment here. And then two, if that was a factor for you, how'd you get around it? I think when you have an on-site, you know, on-site versus near-site, near-site feels more separate. There's advantages and disadvantages to both. We did we did have that issue a little bit. I think uh, part of it is trust. And really what I, I think it boiled down to when somebody was having what you'd view as a, a private, you know, where you're getting undressed or something like that, they would go other places. One person told me about that one day and I'm like, I would too. I'm not going to the Christmas party with somebody who's given me a private procedure. I'm not doing that, right? So I, I don't blame you. <laughs> so there's that part of it. But you know, I would say in general, with that exception, 
it wasn't so much medical conditions. I don't think that bothered people. I mean, so many people would come to me and maybe that's part of just earning trust, but they'd be like, Matt, I've had this shoulder issue for a long time. Tell me how this works. And I'd take them through probably far more detail than they even wanted. But, you know, here's how it works. Here's why we do it. How in the world can we do it for this low cost and or even give you a little money to go to these providers? How does all that happen? I would, I would take the time and I'd draw on my whiteboard and I would explain it. So I, I would say besides the real personal visits, I would say that was a, ended up being a non-issue for us. And there were some dynamics where people had seemed to have, from my perspective, right, the, the chair that I was sitting in kind of a little bit, and these were the exceptions, not the norm, but a little bit of, of a weird view. They'd have maybe an experience there that, you know, not every experience is perfect, but they'd be like, they would almost act like they were doing us a favor by going to the clinic. And I tried to, you know, it's like, no, go there if you're comfortable. Like, we're not pushing this, right? We have options everywhere. And it's meant to, you know, we froze premiums. I'd always remind them, we froze premiums for five years. One of those years, we lowered premiums. There's a win there, but it's not supposed to be a sacrifice. You can have an hour to talk instead of 15 minutes and being rushed off to a, you know, I mean, so just talking through all of those things. Yeah. Do you see that as a hindrance to a lot of employers that are trying to do Try to think the right way to, to, to voice this, but um, you know, there's a lot of pushback into, well, if if I didn't make this choice myself to go use this clinic, it's being provided to me for free with you know asterisk uh, air quotes, nothing's ever free. But do you see any pushback or any problems with that in creating kind of that stickiness and ultimately creating a relationship where people are comfortable going and using those services? I think so. I mean, I always tried to promote choice. So we never got in a a place where we forced anything. So and if they were going to have surgery, if the person was going to have surgery, for instance, we would have four choices in front of them. I mean, normal, you know, they could even have more, but say this system is the highest. Here's their quality and here's your cost if you go there. This system is next. Here's their quality and here's your cost. Uh, This one in Green Bay, here's their quality and it's no cost to you. And then say like Oklahoma, it's uh, high quality and you'll even get a little incentive if you'd want to be willing to get on a plane kind of thing. So um, I think the choice is really big so that they really understand that there are better quality and better cost options, but never feeling forced. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories stands out, just a quick story, but I had one person some people, you know, they have opinions and it was his whole family. And he's like, this particular system, I will not go there, you know? And in just, he, that, he was extremely adamant about that. And I went out one day and being careful, right? But he had shared his story with me and it was kind of a serious level thing. And I grabbed a notebook and I was going to go out and very gently ask if, you know, he wanted to talk about it. And if he said no, I'd have walked away. But he said, yeah, I'll talk about it. So we sat down a minute and I said, I just want to go through this and make sure you understand your options because he was picking the most expensive path and, and, and a mediocre quality path according to our data. And I didn't hardly get in, I would draw it out, you know, one, two, three, four. And I didn't hardly get in five minutes. And he explained it to me. I mean, he understood it well. And I, I said, so it sounds like you've done your homework. And, and I, at the end, I said, you know what? I support you. Uh, because in reality, if you set up, I think if you set up the plan design, he wasn't making the wisest choice in my opinion, but I, it wasn't my healthcare, right? It wasn't my body. So, uh, but nine out of 10 will. So I, I think if you get in a game where you remove choices or you force people, then then they really feel like that, you know, and then it, it might go sour. But we always focused on the choice options. Yeah, I, I love that people rebel against mandates, you know, all over the place. 
kind of in our American DNA here, but just give some choices. And, and that's why I really salute what you guys have done. Just four, three or four choices is so powerful, you know, to that person, to that story. And so I appreciate you sharing with us. I love hearing patient stories, you know, because that puts it in a perspective that this isn't just a concept happening. Like, Matt, you put these programs in, you change these people's lives. And whether they choose to walk through that door or not, that's up to them. Yeah. And, you, and you know, you get one, two and three years in and then you start freezing premiums, which they've never been frozen before. Right. I mean, you, so then it, once you gain a little momentum, I mean, there were I had a lot of freedom in terms of proposing things. I didn't have to go back to that proposal table in front of the owners on, you know, unless it was major, major, you know, they just kind of trusted and that we would do the right thing. Think about the enrollment meetings. So here we are. Enrollment meetings are probably have all, probably already started and they'll carry October, November for employers. So HR folks watching this podcast, let me speak to you from having lived in your shoes and still partially there. I've moved into more of a general role. What are employers listening for when they get in those meetings? They're really thinking, how bad is it going to hurt? 9% is the national average straight for the last 20 years. I had a, an employer who I got to know call me and they said, our, our costs went up 100% last year. And it was like, can you help? And so I helped them a little bit with a few phone calls. But so the point is that HR people are a lot of times they'll put the broker in front to give that message. And I always told the group, I said, I'm going to stand up here. The broker's here and we'll, you know, benefit advisor, but I'm going to stand up here and I'm, I'm going to work really hard all year. And if I have to give you bad news, right, then I'm, I'm going to deliver it. And I'm going to say, yeah. Uh, so, but once they start seeing that success and they got to keep their raise, imagine that, right? I got a raise and I actually get to keep it. And I think then it was a little bit easier. So then, not, you know, it takes years to bring everybody along and to erase false perceptions. But once you get some wins under your belt, then the momentum goes. What was your biggest tool? And, and, and uh, this will be my last question for you. What was your biggest tool in convincing people in your company um, in your old one or your, your new one, if you're going to try to do you know, similar type of strategies to help save money and take care of people, what was the number one tool in your arsenal that made people have that light bulb moment? I think I've got several, probably shining some light on the notion that shopping is really important. And although it seems like it, I would, I would venture to say, I would make a statement uh, that most employers, and this is, this is one of the big problems of how did we get here? Is that most employers are not actually, and then therefore employees are not actually shopping for healthcare. Mm -hmm. You say, what are you talking about? I can go wherever I want. It's a free country and so forth. Well, can you really? Because, because what's the broker do? Now, be careful if there's brokers watching, nothing against brokers, love brokers, love benefit advisors, but refer with an honest conscience, right? So uh, there's paychecks coming in from different places. So refer what's best for that employer, advise that employer, because that employer is listening to you. Employers realize that if you, I, I realized this probably four years ago, that this narrow network concept that I'm unknowingly in many cases, but I'm signing away my ability to shop. Mm -hmm. Say, well, what are you, what are you talking about, Matt? Well, if I sign up for a narrow network with a discount off of a non-contracted, so therefore a movable charge master price and an invisible price, what does it matter if I get 99% off? I don't even know what it's off of what. So reference some form of reference-based pricing, not reference-based uh, reference contracting, I guess, is more of a, a better... Direct contracting, reference-based yeah. prices, yeah. Yeah, so contracting and knowing what I'm... Discounts are not the best language, in my opinion. It's, it's like, what percentage of Medicare? 
is probably a better language, but, but also not saying that I'm going to give employees that they can go to this system only, or they can go to this system only. That shuts down all independence as well. So that shuts down $400 MRIs when they're available instead of $5,000 MRIs. It shuts down $60,000 surgeries that could be gotten for 20. And you're just shopping with that one system and, and they're loving it, right? Think of a store, if they could lock you in, a Best Buy or any store, a car dealer, if they could lock you in that you had to shop there, that would be a bad place because I, I have fun with cars or tractors on the side or trucks and I wheel and deal and whatever. But your power in any negotiation is to walk away, is alternative. Or I'll mention, hey, I bought a boat a few years ago, right? I'm like, I've been to every boat dealer around. I've got the brochures in my hand to prove it. And I'm not showing them the numbers, but I'll, you know, I'll use them to my advantage. But in other words, I know what my options are. And guess what? You're, you're going to walk out of there with a better deal versus, well, I don't know much about boats. And this is the first place I've stopped. But would you sell me a boat? And the guy's going to be like, sure. Jack up this price a little bit. Right. So anyway, right. But shopping in general. So it's a great analogy, right? That, that's, it's a perfect analogy. And, and I, I, I kind of chuckled and he said, it's, you're getting this hospital system and they're locking the doors and saying, okay, let's get your wallet out. Well, how much is it going to cost? Well, we can't tell you, but you can't leave. Yeah. I always joke and say, we won't tell you the price, but you have to shop here. Like nowhere else do we do that. My goodness. Even if you had to shop there, at least, you know, the price. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Matt, let me ask you the million dollar question here. Uh, I know I said my previous question was, was the last one, but million dollar question here. You've seen it, you know, in kind of your life's work here. What does the perfect healthcare system look like to you? When you say system, you mean the whole big system, right? The whole enchilada from, from floor to ceiling. Let me rephrase it. What is the healthcare? How does the healthcare industry function from a patient standpoint right. in the most perfect way in your mind? Sometimes I think about this at 3 a.m. when I can't sleep. So not always. You don't both, man. <laughs> but I've been thinking about what's the ideal plan design? What's the ideal everything? I think one of the things, and we just came from a conference, right, that promotes it, but a free market, a true, so not a pseudo free market, mm-hmm. but a true free market where there's plenty of alternatives. And I get to evaluate when we shop on Amazon and I try to buy local, right, by the way, but we shop on Amazon. I can go on Amazon. I bought two books this morning and I can find the best price and the best quality very, very, very quickly on Amazon. So they've got that nailed and they've got the payment process dialed in, et cetera. So I think if you look at all the players in the, in the healthcare big system, so you've got you know brokers who are advising. It's kind of, kind of interesting, by the way, brokers... They're initially started out, you know, selling insurance, right? Which is what you think of as a broker, but then they become this side-by-side with self-insured, getting paid by insurance companies and others, but yet still, and then getting even paid by the company in big dollars, but then advising the company. Uh, So be careful brokers, be careful employers of those conflicts of interest. But I would kind of give an overall answer is this. So you have hospital systems, right? Brokers, insurance companies, employers, et cetera. I think if everyone does their part with a good conscience and not let Animal Farm get in the way, have you ever read uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm? Sorry, but uh, if you have, it just means that things start out good. Animals take over the farm and everything's great. And then pretty the pigs were the smartest, so they were the leaders. But then pretty soon the pigs are saying, everyone's created equal, like some are just a little bit more equal. And so pretty soon then the pigs go corrupt and then everything, right? So I think a lot of things start out great, but if everyone would do their role and not 
and be careful not to rationalize. It is so easy to rationalize. I have good friends in those industries that I sometimes scratch my head a little bit. And we're all in danger of this. Be careful, right, of our actions. But we can rationalize just about anything, right? And that's just the way it is. That's the way everyone does it. But if the brokers advise ethically, if the systems work on efficiencies and realize, right, that's one of the unintentional mistakes of hospital systems is they're horribly inefficient, but they never even recognize that as an issue. They don't have to. And, and all sorts of things that are maybe intentional in terms of manipulating prices and not sharing prices and then paying brokers and all sorts of things that go on in probably most industries. So the healthcare is not unique to be have some issues there. I saw a video this morning I was watching and it said, you know, that we're compared with all the countries around the world, the government spend is about the same as the rest of the countries, but the private is in America is way out of line. So that's been inflated. That's been jacked up. And it's, and it's because, how did we get here? I like to ask. It's because the employers have allowed it. So I go back to kind of where I started, right? If you're an employer, if you just sit quietly and idle and you write the checks and self-insured cases, and you write those big checks and you can manage your paper clips down to a penny. But if you write a million dollar check for healthcare and never question it, then this is going to continue. But if we as employers can look at this and, and run the graphs and have the courage and not be afraid to look, we're the ones that are going to have to change this. Because if you're riding a gravy train with biscuit wheels, you don't jump off. And that's the way that most of those players are doing. We're not riding it. We're funding it. We're putting the, the fuel in it. We're paying for the track repair and we're funding that whole gravy train. But until we stop that train, it's going to continue. Employers funding a lot of bad habits. I like that reference of gravy train with biscuit wheels. There's no impetus to change from an industry standpoint. So it has to be, we have to vote with our dollars from an employer standpoint. I love the message of that, Matt. That resonates very well. Matt Orr, Director of Administration Organizational Efficiency at the Team Cheryl Companies. Thanks again for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Wish you the most luck in your new role. And so hopefully you can continue to be a one-man wrecking ball and bringing change and innovation to human resources and all those great companies that you work for. Thanks, Chris. Always great to talk to you. That's it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.